illustrations to show it is that uh, you're saying, and I do that with my children, then it's guaranteed they're going to do great all their lives. I heard a man talking the other day, he has three children, uh, two are doing well, one never became a Christian. And he said, you know, we, we got advice, we imitated those whose children were all doing well, we, to the best of our ability, did all of it. And yet our son didn't become a Christian. A plus B did not equal C. You see, the factor in there is that third one has free choice. That third one can choose the wrong thing. Our children can choose the wrong thing. Now, they have a better shot by far. If we do A and B, right? If we do all the stuff that we know we ought to be doing with our family, they have a much better shot, but it's still not a guarantee because they're a free moral agent. God made them that way, and they can make a choice to reject Jesus if they so choose. But we tend to think in those terms. If I do this and I do that, then God's going to give me this. Maybe he will. Sometimes he doesn't. Then what do you do with that one? Well, you got some choices. There are people that leave God oversee, not turning out like they thought it should. Now, most of the time, God's A and B, when you put those together, it does come out C. But there are no guarantees that life is going to go like you want it to go. Okay? We've been around long enough. And then we had happiness theology, that God exists to answer all of our prayers, to give us all that we want. Not what we need, but what we want. And it is so prevalent in the religious world today in Dallas and Fort Worth and all of the U.S. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but I know that happiness theology is extremely pervasive. I watched a guy on TV the other day, a guy that I don't normally watch because he really gets under my skin. It was a good lesson, but it was like all of his lessons. When I lived in Houston, I was sharing with a waitress one day, and she said, I go to so-and-so's church. And she said, I like it there, but she said, really, every lesson's sort of the same thing. That's one of the guy's members. It's all about God's going to make you happy. It's all about you being happy. Here are the keys to being happy. Life is about being happy. I don't quite get that out of the Bible. I get this out of the Bible in Romans 8. He says there, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We like that verse. That preacher uses that verse a lot. But he forgets to read the next verse. Because it talks about the reason God works all things together for good is so that we can be conformed to the image of Christ. And we don't get like that having a nice little trip through the park. We get like that 
through the challenges that life brings, and there are so many other passages about it and how it works. In fact, the next point of my uh, lesson will deal with that. But what about the closed doors in your life? You probably got some. They may be financial. They may be family. They may be health. They may be a lot of serious things. But how do you view those doors? Do you think that God is really the one that's the hinge? He's the one that makes them close and open, and he has a plan for your life. You see, as life goes on, more and more you've got to develop faith in closed doors. And those are not easy lessons to learn. And so my attitude about it is, I don't know what he's doing. Makes no sense to me. I'm just going to hold on tight, just like I'm riding a roller coaster. And, and that's what life with God is like. It's a roller coaster. It's up, it's down, it's all around. You don't know if you're going off or on. I mean, it, it, it's amazing what God does sometimes. And that's why long-range perspective is helpful. That's why old guys like me are helpful. I've been on that roller coaster a long time now. I thought I was going to get thrown off. I thought the thing was going to crash. I thought a lot of things about my roller coaster ride with God. But the one thing I've learned is hold on. You will get to the place where the guy unlocks it and lets you off. We will get to where God said it's all good from now on. There is a place called heaven. Okay. Uh, second thing about Paul's life in these chapters, his exemplary willingness to suffer. He had a view about suffering because of the faith in closed doors that caused him to go through all kinds of things. In 2 Corinthians 11, he describes it in, in, in a lot of detail. He, he described his suffering as prison, being flogged, exposed to death again and again, stoned, bandits, fellow Jews, Gentiles, in the city, in the country, at sea, false believers, often gone without sleep, hunger and thirst, and had been cold and naked. Whatever you're going through, I doubt your list is that long. I'm pretty sure it doesn't contain some of what his does. But he learned in all of that that God was in control and God had a purpose. In fact, when he goes on to the next chapter, he talked about God wanting to show him how weak he was without God. And so he said, I have learned to rejoice in my weaknesses, my suffering, my hard times, because God uses that to change me and to make me more like the one whose name I wear. Now, in Acts 16 and 17, it was basically persecution for his faith. And so in Acts 17, when Paul and his companions passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. They went in, they started preaching, everything is going good. The next thing you know, you got a bunch of people there, a mob, ready to kill them. You can read that more carefully later. It's small print, I know it's hard to read. 
so they end up in trouble with the city officials. They're kicked out of the city. They were kicked out of Philippi. Now they're kicked out of Thessalonica. They go to Berea, and that was a lot better. But then the guys from Thessalonica came, stirred those guys up, and they kicked him out. So he's been kicked out of three towns after he got the Macedonian call. And finally, God's going to let us go somewhere. And where he went, he got persecuted severely. Now, maybe we're like Paul and we can be persecuted for our faith. Some of us have been persecuted uh, by friends and family members for our faith. Some of us because we were young and dumb. We got converted and we went and said some things that we shouldn't have said. Yeah, there's a lot of you, right? It might have taken you six months to get it. But you think because it's your family and it's you, you can go in and they're going to buy it all overnight. And so you say some things that took you six months to accept, thinking they're going to accept it on the spot, and so you dish it out in a way that they get more than indigestion. I was talking to uh, a friend. We had this couple visiting us the last few days. They left last night. Uh, but he and I served as elders together back in uh, Phoenix years ago. And he said one time his niece got into trouble with drugs. His son had already been in trouble with drugs. In fact, he was converted when he was in jail. His sister and her husband became Christians. They studied with him while he was in jail. He got converted, and his conversion led to his mom and dad getting converted, and his dad later became an elder for a number of years. And so he offered to his sister, my older uh, friend, elder friend, he offered to his sister, listen, since your daughter's having trouble with drugs, my son's been through it. He's been in jail. Now he's a Christian. Uh, how would you feel about us sitting down with your daughter and trying to help out? His brother-in-law did not speak with him except to tell him off one time. He didn't speak to him for 14 years. So maybe you've got some stories like that in your life. But for the most part, our suffering may be of a different type, but we still have it, right? I mean, Paul mentioned a lot of suffering. It was probably caused by persecution, nearly all of it, or the bulk of it. But at any rate, uh, he had a lot of other suffering in his life, and I'm sure a lot that he didn't tell us about. He didn't talk about his mom and dad. He didn't talk about whether he had been married before and how that went. I think he had been for some reasons that I describe in the book, I think Paul had been married before. There are things in his life that were probably very, very painful, but he didn't write about those things. He wrote about enough to let us know that his life was certainly not easy. But how we handle suffering as Christians is a really big deal because there are other people watching you. And how you handle hard times uh, makes a big difference. There's a passage in Colossians 1 that's sort of hard to understand until you, you get this principle. He says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. 
and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, that sounds a little unusual because when Jesus died, he paid the full price, right? He said, it is finished. It's done. The price is paid. Salvation is available for all people for all time. And yet, Paul says there was something lacking. There's a principle here that he talks about in a few other places. And he said, just like Christ's suffering is what drew people to him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw them into myself. It was the suffering of Christ and the way that he suffered that was so amazing. He didn't curse those who were killing him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. He was so different in how he suffered. 1 Peter 2 talks about it as well. He was so different that it changed people because they couldn't answer it. They'd never seen anyone suffer that much with a forgiving spirit. And Paul is saying that in our lives, we like Christ, when we suffer differently, people notice and they are affected. And we've got to keep that principle in mind because it's easy to grumble. We're with this couple the last uh, four or five days. He's 76. He has congestive heart failure. Every time I'm with him, I wonder, will I see him again? Uh, I might die before he does, for that matter. But anyway, he's in bad shape. And we talk about our stuff. You know, he's got a handful of pills about like that in the morning and another handful about that big at night that he takes. I feel pretty good about my seven. Uh, but at any rate, we both got some heart trouble. His is just a whole lot more serious than mine. But... We talk about all that stuff, but it's not in a complaining mode. He doesn't complain about it. I mean, he can hardly walk, but he doesn't complain about it. He's got an upbeat spirit about life. If I had time, I'd tell you some of the stuff we did in the five days they were here. I, I don't know how he did that, but he did it. I don't know how I did it, but I did it. You know, it's a... It's just a matter, though, of how we respond to the suffering in our lives because we're going to have the suffering we've got to have to become like Jesus. But other people are going to be affected by it, not only you. Not only does your suffering, if you endure it the right way, change your character, but it changes people around you because you handle it differently. Does that make sense? The world notices that, and we've got to learn, and I'm still learning. You'd think, wow, by the time you get this old, you ought to know uh, most everything you need to know spiritually. Well, uh, you're always learning. That's why Christianity is such an intriguing religion. That's why the Bible is such an intriguing book. I learn new stuff all the time. As much as I've learned it and taught, I still keep learning new things. Last year, when we had our 25th anniversary, uh, and I spoke, 
I said, I've just learned a lesson. I said, I think. Because I wasn't quite sure if I could follow through with that or not. But I said, it dawned on me one day, since I tend to question God, I, I tend to want to have these little tete-a-tetes with God about why is it like this, why isn't it like that. Anyway, I've always had the tendency to question God. And sometime about the time of that service, it dawned on me, wait a minute, you're trying to understand God, and in 73 years, you haven't figured out the female gender. And I haven't. Women perplex me. The one that's been my wife for 51 years, she is so unpredictable, sometimes I'm thinking, you know, why does she think that? Why does she do that? Maybe that's what's kept me intrigued with her for 51 years. But I decided I'm not going to question God anymore. If I can't understand women, how in the world could I even expect to understand an infinite God? And in that year since then, to my knowledge, I have not questioned God. I've had some really hard things happen, and I, I, I can't understand him. But I don't have to understand him. He understands him. And he is going to work all things together for good, and I just needed to be surrendered. I wrote a book about that that I read occasionally, and uh, it always helps me when I read it. And I think, Gordon, it's a whole lot easier to preach this stuff than live it, right? And it is. But I want to live it. I'm trying to do it. Uh, so that one about questioning God was really good. This year, I, I've kind of come up with a little new thing. Instead of saying when something bad happens, and we've had some challenges uh, in our family, but uh, when something comes up, instead of saying, why me, I say, why not me? I'm a part of the human race. I have the same statistical uh, chance of developing a given disease that anybody else does, whether they're Christian or not. Why not me? I'm part of the human race. I'm not exempt because I'm a Christian. Uh, you know, I, I can't guarantee that I won't catch something uh, or develop something. So why not me? I'm in a better position. So they wouldn't know what to do with it. I know what to do with it. I was talking to my son who went to help me last night take this couple to the airport. And we were talking about uh, my friend and, uh, you know, he's older than his wife and he's got a lot of health problems and she doesn't, serious ones. And my son was asking, is his wife going to be okay? If he dies first, which, you know, we assume he will, and he assumes he will, is she going to be okay? And I told my son, she'll be fine. For one thing, she's the, uh, she's the wife of a uh, retired Navy guy who spent 20 years in the belly of a nuclear sub. Well, diesel in the early days, DOS boot, and then we got to Red October. But anyway... Uh, 
she, she's, a, she's a Navy wife. She's tough. They got married. They went across the country. She's 18 years old. And then he got on the sub, and he's gone for however long. So she's been toughened by life. But she's a faithful Christian. She's got a strong faith. Will she do well? Yeah. She's a Christian. She's better trained to handle a husband's death than someone without God. You see, we need to ask the question, instead of why me, we need to say why not me. And I really believe that. And that's pretty much where I am right now. Why not me? I've got more faith than most people. I can handle more spiritually than most people. At my age, with my years of trying to really grow and be like God. So uh, that's, that's the latest one I'm on. Next year I have a different one. Uh, how are you handling your suffering right now? That's the big question. Only one of me. There's a lot of you. How are you doing? You've got some things in your life that are hard, right? Is there anybody in here that doesn't have any life challenges at all right now? Good. Because all liars go to the lake of fire, Revelation 21. <laughs> so I'm glad you didn't tell a story today, okay? But we've got to learn that this suffering thing we have to handle spiritually. Paul said he rejoiced in it. Uh, that sometimes is a challenge, but the truth is, I don't know of any time that I've grown in a substantial way spiritually that didn't involve suffering. Now, I pray for the easy times, right? We all do that. We want the easy times. God, you talk about loving life and seeing good days. Give me some of those. I'm tired of these I got. Give me some of those. I mean, that, that, that's the way we're built, and God knows that. But when the challenges come, what do you do with them? Do you question God? Do you say, why me? Or do you just simply trust that God's in control? Life is challenging and life is temporary. I am a terminal man speaking to a terminal audience. hundred years from now, we're all dead. So the big issue is not this life. It's the next one. And the next one is determined by how we handle this one. So that's why we talk about such things. Last point. He had an extremely clear grasp of a lost world. This is Paul. It began with great distress. He's in Athens now. His buddies sent him out from Berea. He's by himself. He's lonesome. Uh, if he were one of us, he might say, wow, I've been through so much. I've been kicked out of three places. I've been beaten. I've had all kinds of problems. Uh, it, it is time to kick back and relax a little and chill. That'd be our temptation. Not Paul. It says in Acts 17, 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his friends, he was greatly distressed to see that their city was full of idols. They had idols everywhere, hundreds of them. And in case they missed one, they had one to an unknown God, which gave Paul a wonderful place to begin his sermon 
uh, because they didn't know the real God, and that's where he could start. Hey, this unknown God, you've you got a statue up to that one? Let me talk to you about him. He's not an idol, but let me talk to you about the real God. And then Paul shares. He shared his faith in every situation possible. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as those in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. If you've never been in a European marketplace, and I've been in a number, it's a busy place. There are a lot of people coming in there. And Paul said, day by day. That's one of the biggest challenges, I think, facing our movement today. There was a time when sharing our faith was more than just even the as-you-go opportunity thing that Steve Kennard talked about last week, we made opportunities. We looked for opportunities. And that's how most of us got baptized, is because somebody went out of their way to speak to us and share with us and help us come to know God. But the question is, is that what we are doing for people who are now like we used to be, blind spiritually and in the dark? Are we as concerned about those in the dark now as someone was concerned about you and me when we were in the dark? That's the question. This is one, guys, I think we've got to go after. I really do. We have got to go after it more and more. We had some things on our past history as a movement that were not good things, and they needed to go. Even in evangelism, we motivated in some ways that were flat-out worldly and wrong. But the motivation that ought to drive all of us is there's a world full of idols, and Jesus died for that world. We got our idols too. They may not be statues. I have a neighbor with a statue, but uh, we've got people with all kinds of idols in their lives, things that are more important to them than God, and they need help, and we need to be greatly distressed in order to help them. And that will drive us out day by day, looking for opportunities and just taking the ones that God gives us to help people know God. It's one of my challenges. It's easy. I go in spurts. I put this in the book, some book, one of those books. I said, I tend to go in spurts. I share my faith, but I go in spurts. And maybe one day I share with a number of people. Then I go some days and I don't share. And my mind is not on it nearly enough. When Paul shared, what was his message? If you look in the first part of it, we know this one. God wants a relationship with every person. And so he says the real God, he can drink and all the things that we need in life. He gives us breath, everything. And he wants us to seek him out. And so in the last verse there it says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, uh, though he is not far from any one of us. So God wants us to seek him out. God is looking for us. He's 
making all kinds of moves in our direction, whether we realize it or not, but he wants us to reach out and embrace him and have a relationship with him. Well, that's a part of Paul's message. That's where he started with it. But then he ended up with a message. Radical change is demanded because there's a judgment day coming. So in Acts 17 it says, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, talking about their idolatry. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Everywhere. All people. Because he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, Paul said, proves that there will be a judgment day and accounting to God for the life that we've lived on this earth. Now, read that part of it. I think, why? It starts off with people that don't even know the real God. And by the time he ends his lesson, after he talks about the real God and God wanting people to have a relationship with him, he ends up by saying, there's a judgment day. You know what strikes me about that is we're pretty good on the first part. We do that first part a lot, right? We tell everybody God has a plan for your life. God wants to bless you. And, and all of that's true and all that's right and all that needs to be taught. But guys, I think where we fail is we don't deal with the reality of judgment. I really feel like while we don't preach a happiness gospel, our focus is a lot more on that than the reality of the fact that God's not kidding. He wrote a book, and he is not kidding about that book. That's why I read the Old Testament. I read those prophets. It scares me to death. I look at the God in the Old Testament as well as the one in the New Testament. And they're the same, of course. But I look at God from beginning to end in the Bible because I need to stay sober about the realities of life and death. And I need to stay uh, in reality when I'm thinking about people that I know and I love. They're not going to be saved simply because I love them. I've had a lot of relatives die without God. They're not going to be saved just because I love them. Uh, they had a Bible. God expected them to follow that Bible. God expects people to seek His will out and do it because there is a judgment day. So I'm not talking about a return to what some of us were raised with, hellfire and brimstone sermons, and that's all there was. Although, honestly, I appreciate those. They helped me. Because I was hearing those when I was a teenager and a mess. And it made me uncomfortable with my sin. I didn't quit it nearly soon enough. But I was uncomfortable with it. I'm glad that there were some people that got up and laid it out about meeting God and giving an answer to Him. So I'm just suggesting, why don't we preach the whole gospel? 
That's what Paul said we ought to do. Preach the whole gospel, Acts 20. Not just the part of God loves you and God wants to bless you and God wants a relationship with you, all of which is true. That needs to be preached. But we also need to help people be sober about the fact that if we don't make the right choice, there are serious consequences ahead. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Uh, we know biblically that we need to be imitating Christ. Last two sentences. But imitating Paul as a part of the process adds an essential ingredient. I see Paul in situations that I don't see Jesus in. I see Paul as a full human. Jesus was man and God at the same time. I see Paul as only man who was imitating Christ. He said, follow my example as I follow Christ. Some versions say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he didn't put any disclaimers on it like we do. We say, yeah, imitate me as I imitate Christ, except for the bad part, and then imitate my repentance. <laughs> That's what we say. Paul didn't offer that disclaimer. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ because he gave it everything he had as long as he lived to be like Jesus. And when you really study Paul in depth, you can do that, my book will help you with that. But if you really study Paul in depth, the degree to which he imitated Christ is almost beyond belief. And he had his challenges. And he was no different than you and me, except he made a decision and he stuck with it every day of his life. I'm going to give this day to Jesus and I'm going to be as much like him as I possibly can. So I hope these uh, few things here are helpful to you because uh, that's my thing that I think about most is what Steve Kennard preached about last week. And that is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about being like him, learning to think like him. That's spiritual thinking. I wrote one book called The Power of Spiritual Thinking. What is that? It's just thinking like Jesus. I want to act like him. I want to be like him because truthfully, we are his representatives on earth to do and be what he would be doing if he were here in the flesh.